hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We're in a series at the moment called The New Way. We're tracking through the Gospel of Luke, chapters 9 to 11. And in these scriptures, Jesus now begins his long journey to Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. As he begins that journey, he sends his disciples out to do mission. And then he has lots of these great conversations with them and with the crowds who want to follow after Jesus. There is a contrast here between what the followers expect and what Jesus encourages that is startling. It is the Jesus way. It is the new way. Let me begin tonight with a hypothetical situation. I want you to imagine that you have the pleasure and privilege of leading someone to Jesus. You take them through the true story of all humanity. You tell them we were created by a good God and given the ability to have life, but we chose to go our own way. We decided that God's way for us was no good and rejected our Creator. The result was a world filled with evil and pain and death. But, and don't you love the but? God loved us so much that he came himself as a baby that became a man named Jesus. He showed what God was like and died to free us from our sins, taking that evil and pain and death upon himself. What was more, he showed that he is the king of the universe by rising again from the dead. He simply looks at each person and asks, as we discovered last week, who do you say that I am? For those who repent of their sin and choose to follow him and put him in charge of their life, they get to rule and reign with him as part of the new kingdom he is creating now and forever. So you tell this person this great story in whatever way you choose to tell it. Uh, I get a bit more time to write these things down. If you were talking with someone, it might, get, just, it might be a little bit more brief. But you tell them this, and they say, yes, this is great. I believe it's true. I'm willing to follow Jesus with my life. Inside, I don't know about you, but I would be supremely excited, right? This is a good moment. Then they say, well, but hang on, but what's in it for me? If I'm going to follow Jesus, well, then I've got some expectations. I've got a few conditions. If Jesus is king of the universe, then surely I can live in that blessing now, right? Healing, prosperity, success, they're what I'll get, aren't they? Jesus will help me get ahead in the world. How would you respond to that person? What would you do? What would you say, hey, yeah, absolutely. Would there be something in you that goes, oh, I think there might be something they don't quite understand? Well, that's the scenario that Jesus faces in tonight's passage in Luke. Jesus has shown his disciples who he is. He's fed the 5,000. He's healed a demon-possessed boy. He's even sent some of them out with the same power he has. Then Peter made this great declaration, you are the Messiah, you are the king of the universe. And then Jesus goes all shiny up on the mountain, and James, John, and Peter are like, cut it out, Jesus, they haven't even invented sunglasses yet. And last week we ended up on Jesus telling his followers, they must give up their own way, take up their cross, and follow him. 
Let's see what happens next. Luke 9, verse 46 to 48. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least amongst you is the greatest. Straight after, they see Jesus for who he really is. What's the first thing they do? They start arguing about who's the greatest. They've forgotten all about giving up their own way. Instead, they've gotten excited. Look, this is Jesus, the king of the universe. And they get so excited that they begin to start thinking about what they can get. Man, if he really is the king of the universe and he's going to rule this place, and I'm right up the top, then I'm going to be pretty important. They start focusing on things that are the old way and not the new way at all. They look for position and they look for getting ahead. Now, this must have been so frustrating for Jesus. They just don't seem to get it. He's trying to show them how to bring self-sacrificial love for others, and they're arguing about their position. Somehow I think, though, it's not just them that get this wrong. We sometimes get this wrong, too. We focus on getting ahead. In fact, for many people, it's one of the key things they want to do with life. We look at who we are in comparison to the people around us and try and measure ourselves. Am I better than everyone else? And uh, the key way that I think some people try to do this is by the position that they hold. I was reading about this phenomenon this week where people will actually accept a better position without getting any more money in their workplace. They will accept a higher rank without getting any more money. One stat said that 72% of people under 34 said they would be willing to take a new title without an improved salary, compared with 53% of over 55. So 72% of people under the age of 34 said, if you give me a better title, you can keep the money. Um, I'm not going to push for that money. Another person talked about that stat and said, I've seen candidates trade as much as $10,000 in salary for what they consider a more valuable title. That's incredible, isn't it? Maybe you're thinking it's not incredible. You're thinking, yeah, I'd take the title. But it seems to me a little bit ridiculous. Some people place more value in their title than their ability to look after themselves. What about you? Would you rather have a better position or more money? Would your life be more fulfilled if you went from the title of business worker to fancy pants, awesome sauce? Would you feel like there was something better about you? One person wrote, my best friend worked in energy, specifically power at an investment bank. Her business card read, Jane Smith, Global Power Team. Somehow that just makes you feel like you're better, something better about yourself. You feel like a more complete person. And we might look at that out there, but I felt this pull in my own life. Uh, I was doing a survey on um, uh, one of my roles here is to work in IT for the church across our locations. And so I got to fill in this survey about uh, the different roles that we employ as a church. And they didn't have IT guy, which is kind of what I call myself. Instead, what they had is, do you have a chief technical officer? 
So from now on, I just sign off my emails, Chief Technical Officer, whenever I'm talking about IT. <laughs> and often, often I, I'm also, as well as a Chief Technical Officer, I am an associate pastor at St. Martin C3. And uh, do you know, when I tell people I'm an associate pastor, do you know the first thing they ask me? So when do you think you'll be a senior pastor? And there are times when people just assume that I'm hanging out to be a senior pastor. I must be unhappy in my current position because it's, it's only an associate pastor. And generally, I reject such worries. I'm actually really happy in my position. But there are times, particularly now that I'm the chief technical officer, but, but there are times when I have felt a little bit inferior because of my title. I've had the pleasure of leading some, some quality young people into my life. One of them is 15 years my junior, and a few years back, uh, a couple of years out of school, got appointed as an associate pastor about the same time I did. And it was the most bizarre thing. As a result of that, I didn't think more of him. I thought less of me. Oh, he got to be an associate pastor pretty quick. Have you ever felt that pull to go, where am I in my position? Jesus, surely, surely I'm going to get ahead. Help me get ahead. The disciples were looking for Jesus and position. We often do too. I've seen people in church go, if only I was in charge of a connect group, if only I was in charge of a team, then I'd finally make it in the world. What is Jesus' response? He brings a little child before them, and he says this, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. And Jesus flips their focus from what can I get to whom can I welcome? He tells them to receive those who have no status. Don't just seek a position for yourself out of pride. But instead, look for ways that you can serve and give honor to others. May we do the same and look to embody the new way of Christ's kingdom rather than the dead way we often go after. The second story goes like this. Verse 49. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone use your name. This is straight after that, Nick, that last story. We saw someone use your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. When a group of people gets together and all they think about is the people in their group, it's called being clicky. Have you ever seen a clicky group? And you're like, oh, I can't get into that click. I just can't be part of it. And what the disciples are doing is the ultimate clickiness. When you went through school, you probably had the in crowd, right? You had the popular group. I always wonder with that, what makes someone part of that group? Is it looks? Is it confidence? Is it connection, style, intelligence? It's not intelligence. I'm sorry if you were part of that group. It's generally not intelligence. Um, one thing is for sure, you always know who's in that group. Do you guys relate to this? Yeah, you know who was in that group, even if you were. If you don't know who was in that group, you were probably in that group. Uh, and you also know whether you're good enough for that group or not. 
I don't know if you've ever felt like you're on the outer. I remember one day a friend came up to me and he said, hey, my birthday's coming up. And I was like, oh, that's, that's fantastic, that's great. And he said, I just want to know, um, on that day, can I borrow your game system? Goes, ah, yeah, why is that? He said, oh, I'm having a party. Okay, my game system got invited to the party, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've ever been in that place where you are not in the in-group. Those who are in the in-group feel more influential. They feel more powerful. They feel more important. And the disciples wanted to feel significant. But if the kingdom of God was open to anyone, am I as important? Do I matter as much if just anybody can get in? They wanted Jesus and to feel like that made them more important than anyone else. Sometimes we can be the same. Sometimes we go to Jesus and we go, look, I've got a corner on the truth, and I've got Jesus, and that makes me more important than anyone else. And what's Jesus' response? He says, hey, look, this is the kingdom. Everyone can be in. Everyone can be part of that group. If they're not against you, then they're for you. Give them a chance to be part of the group. It's not just about you. My kingdom is about more than just this small group of 12. It's about the whole world. Get your head around that as you follow me. Another story. Uh, Luke 9, 51 says, As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And by the way, this marks a new part in the book of Luke. We've been traveling the story, so we'll get a bit meta for a second. This, this from here on out, this is Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. It's a significant turning point in Luke. His earthly ministry is nearly done, and the cross is on the horizon. And then it continues, verse 52. He sent messages ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the person, uh, the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. John and Andrew are the sons of Zebedee, which means sons of thunder, and you can see it here. We have Jesus, who has shown his power over nature, and has shown that he's king of the universe, and he's stretching his disciples to do some of this stuff themselves. And they're thinking, maybe, maybe we can use some of this power to finally do something really cool. Let's get all Elijah-like and call down fire and burn them up, those godless Samaritans. And now I know uh, part of this is, is uh, John gets a couple of name drops here. And I wondered, John wrote his gospel last, and I wonder if the reason he did is because he read some of this stuff. And he was like, oh man, I've got to give people a better impression of myself. I'm not just the doofus who tried to burn people with fire or, or tell people they couldn't join our group or wanted to be the greatest. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> it seemed, though, that he did have an issue with power. Power can be a dangerous thing. It can accentuate all of our characteristics for good or for bad. It can lead you to try to take control of every situation, even to the detriment of others. There's this, this strange thing with power. 
And I think it is one of the greatest tests any of us will face when we have power, how we treat it. There was an experiment where psychologists set up an annoying fan so that it would blow in people's faces, just this air in people's faces. The participants' odds of moving it away, turning it off or unplugging it, spiked from 42% to 69% if they had just written about a time when they had power. Isn't that interesting? They'd just written about a time they had power, and then they had this fan blow in their their face. And if they had just written about that, they were more likely to go, I'm going to turn that off. I'm in control. Uh, Power can be seductive. And we see the disciples here embracing the dark side of power. I mean, they wanted to basically shoot lightning bolts out of their hands into their enemies. It is literally the dark side. They want to call down fire from heaven to destroy people. And they wanted Jesus. And they wanted to use whatever power they could have for their own ends. Jesus' response is now straight-out rebuke. Following Jesus is not about power. They had missed the point. Jesus did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. He did not want to use the power of God for the advancement of himself, but for the advancement of the world and the reconciliation of the world. The disciples wanted all that Jesus had to give them, but they were disappointed. We're a little bit like the person who spends the raise before they've even got it. And they find out now they're not getting the raise at all. They're not getting what they thought they were going to get. The disciples got brought down to earth. The problem is that they're looking to see if they can do Jesus and. Jesus and. Jesus and position. Jesus and being more important than everybody else. Jesus and power. We need to watch out that we don't treat following Jesus like something that we can add things onto. I'll have Jesus and I'll have wealth. I'll have Jesus and I'll try to be the most important person in the room. I'll follow Jesus and embrace my way of doing life. We can't do Jesus and. And I think that's the point of these passages. That's why this happens so quickly after Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny their own way of doing life, take up their cross daily and follow me. But it's not just the ands we have problems with. There are also buts that we have problems with. As we conclude tonight, there are three more stories that show another aspect of hesitation in following Jesus. Verse 57 to 62. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. No sign as to whether his father is even dead, but let me bury him first. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is not anti-family. Don't get that wrong impression from these passages. But he is anti-excuses. He is anti-anything that you might say, 
I'll follow you, but what's holding you back from giving everything to Jesus? Many people want to follow Jesus, however, there is a but. There is a condition, there is an excuse as to why they can't give everything to him. So let me ask you tonight, what does your but look like? Sorry, I couldn't resist. What, what does your but look like? What is your excuse? What is your thing that is holding you back from giving everything to Jesus? Because as he says, we need to be ready to put up with hardship. We need to have one focus and no excuses. To be all in. Rather than say, yes, but... One of my young people was applying for a mission organization and asked if I could support him in the interview. If I could come and just sit with him while he had this interview and uh, provide him that support. And I said, sure, love to. And we went through this interview, and, and there were some good people there interviewing, and a nice discussion was going on. And the interview was going well until they asked this question. They said, how do you know you're a Christian? And he said, well, I'm a good person. I think, you know, I go to church, I'm a good person, that makes me a Christian. And they went, um, okay. Uh, and they pushed a little bit, and they said, well, but what about, what about Jesus? What, how important is Jesus in your life? And he went, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus is really important. You know, he's a great person and I really respect him a lot. Oh, and also I respect Buddha and I respect Muhammad. They're really important people in my life too. And, you know, I think there are many ways to God. And I tried my best to help him, but he kind of kept digging he was trying to sound enlightened and tolerant, but couldn't see that a Christian is someone who declares faith in Christ alone. And you might not be surprised to hear that he didn't get the position. <laughs> and he came to me and he said, why didn't I get the position? What went wrong? And I was like, well, let me see if I can figure it out. I told him that those questions were an opportunity to show his faith in Jesus strongly that it was Christ alone that he put his faith in. And we talked and we talked and, and we talked about this thing. I said, look, you kind of presented there like, like you're almost a Christian Buddhist. Uh, and there was such a thing as a Christian Buddhist. And he said, there is such a thing as a Christian Buddhist. And you're right, I think I am a Christian Buddhist. And I said to him, oh man, I'm sorry, but that's not the way it goes with Jesus. I don't know, you've been in my youth ministry for years and I haven't told you this. That's not the way it goes with Jesus. It can't be Jesus and Buddha. It can't be Jesus and Muhammad. It can't be Jesus and the way you want to do life. It has to be, be Jesus only. And ultimately, he said, oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. He moved away from the city we were living. And I, I fell out of touch for him for, uh, for a while. And uh, he gave me a call one Sunday afternoon in quite a state. And he called me up and he said, look, I moved from where you were into another city and I met this great girl. And so we moved in together and things were going great. But she said to me, she said, look, I've got one rule, one thing that I just, I can't stand. She said, I can't stand if I'm with a guy that he's watching pornography on the side. And so I need you to commit to me that you're not going to do that. That's a deal breaker for me. And he went, yeah, okay, I'm not going to do that. And uh, one day she she caught him in the act, as it were. And it was this day that he called me because she'd kicked him out. She said, look, I told you. 
I told you, you can't watch porn and have a relationship with me. And he was out. And do you see the link between the two? He couldn't do her alone. He was doing her and. He was uh, thinking that he could do his girlfriend in pornography the same way he could do Jesus in Buddhism. He had problems with following after one thing exclusively. Now, I want to throw to us tonight and say that we need to be different. We can't be Jesus and people who just throw something else on the end. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I go to church. I believe in Jesus. And I want to do this as well. I want to seek after this. Nor can we be, gee, but, oh, Jesus, but, mm, there's this condition, there's this thing. We go back to our guy at the start, our person at the start, we're leading into faith, and who's saying to us, but surely there's a lot in it for me as well. And there is so much in it for us. But at first it takes for us to realize that we need to surrender all, give up all to follow Jesus. Be wholly committed people. We can't worship Jesus while trying to create our kingdom filled with ambition, exclusive groups and power, or any other thing. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.